It's Friday, October the 9th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Trump declines debate and China joins UN vaccine scheme. First, the world in brief. President Donald Trump, who is infected with COVID-19, refused to take part in a video debate with Joe Biden. The bipartisan commission that runs the events had said it would adjust the format of the second of three head-to-heads scheduled for October 15th to protect the health and safety of all involved. Mr Trump said that was ridiculous, sparking a to-and-fro between the two campaigns about when and whether the next two debates should take place. The FBI charged 13 men over a plot to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer, the Democratic governor of Michigan, before the elections. Seven belonged to a militia calling itself the Wolverine Watchmen. They allegedly planned to overthrow state governments they believed were violating the US Constitution. Miss Whitmer has been assailed by far-right groups for imposing restrictions to fight the pandemic. China joined COVAX, a scheme run by the World Health Organization, which is preparing to distribute a COVID-19 vaccine around the world, prioritizing its beneficiaries by need once one is ready. More than 170 countries have signed up, but the world's two largest economies were notable exceptions. America remains a holdout. The Trump administration claims the WHO is too corrupt. Germany reported more than 4,000 new cases of COVID-19 in 24 hours, the most since April. Its main public health body warned the country could see more than 10,000 new cases a day. Meanwhile, a Spanish court overturned a government-imposed partial lockdown on Madrid and its surrounds, Europe's second densest cluster of COVID-19 cases after Andorra. And pubs and restaurants across northern England braced themselves for new lockdown measures expected in response to rising infection rates. Jair Bolsonaro, Brazil's president, said that he will end Lava Jato, a years-long corruption investigation that has snared many of Brazil's leading politicians and business people because there is no more corruption in the government. Some had accused the probe of overreach. Though Mr Bolsonaro supported it upon entering office in 2018, his enthusiasm waned after his son came under investigation. IBM's share price jumped after it revealed that it will spin off its infrastructure services business to concentrate on cloud computing. The move came a year after it acquired Red Hat, an open-source software business for $34 billion. IBM's executives hoped to grab a healthy chunk of the market for hybrid, i.e. mixed local and cloud, software applications worth an estimated $1 trillion a year. And Taiwan's semiconductor manufacturing company reported revenues of 977.7 billion new Taiwan dollars, $34.1 billion in the first nine months of 2020, a 30% increase year on year. An American export ban stopped the microchip giant trading with Huawei, a Chinese telecoms company. In response, Huawei stockpiled equipment before the ban came into force, boosting TSMC's revenues. In the long term, such restrictions may bite harder. And now, here's today's agenda. Furloughing furlough. What's next for jobs? In 2020, millions of people learned what the word furlough meant. Most OECD countries have deployed such programmes during the pandemic. In April, 23% of workers in Britain, France, Germany and Spain were placed on short-term leave. That figure has since fallen to 9%. 
But though furlough schemes protect workers during a temporary crash, they also prevent them from moving from declining industries to thriving ones. One-fifth of furloughed workers in Britain in July worked in the hospitality business. Many of those jobs may eventually be permanently cold. So when Britain's scheme expires at the end of this month, the result could be a painful increase in unemployment in the short term, but a better adjusted economy in the long term. Others, by contrast, seem to be putting off the pain. Spain has extended its scheme to the end of January, and France's will run for as long as two years. The virus returns. The Czech Republic and COVID-19. In July, Czechs were partying on Prague's famous Charles Bridge to bid farewell to the pandemic. Three months later, their country has the highest number of new infections per 100,000 inhabitants in the EU and the fastest growing infection rate. From today, all indoor gyms and swimming pools must close for at least two weeks. Pubs are subject to an 8pm curfew. What went wrong? The government dropped restrictions too soon. Face masks stopped being compulsory in the summer. The former health minister tried to reintroduce them in September, but Andre Babish, the prime minister, opposed the move, wary of irritating lockdown-fatigued voters. There has been a cacophony of conflicting expert opinions. This week, there was yet more public bickering between celebrity doctors playing down the virus and those who were treating an increasing number of COVID-19 patients in intensive care. The country's contact tracing efforts are a mess. Czechs no longer have much to celebrate. Hollow choice. Tajikistan goes to the polls. A presidential election on Sunday will cement Emma Mali Rokhman as one of the world's longest ruling despots in power for a fifth term in Tajikistan. The ballot paper offers voters an unappetizing choice between the strongman who has ruled them for 28 years or four stalking horses. The founder of Peace and National Unity, leader of the nation of Tajikistan, Mr. Rokhman's pompous official title, faces no serious opposition because he has drummed dissent out of the Central Asian state. Opposition leaders are in prison, in exile, or in their graves after mysterious deaths. Anti-government forces in exile and one tiny beleaguered opposition party inside Tajikistan have called for a boycott. The 68-year-old president looks headed for another seven years in power. The only question is how large the incumbent's winning landslide will be. Mr. Rockmon will surely want to better the 84% he won in 2013. Land grab. Northern Cyprus's election. Turkish-controlled Northern Cyprus will elect a president on Sunday. Mustafa Akunja is running for re-election amid a row about a patch of seaside left abandoned since Turkey invaded the island in 1974 and set up the breakaway republic. While visiting Turkey on Tuesday, Northern Cyprus's Prime Minister and presidential challenger Ersan Tatar said he would reopen Warosha, a resort-turned-ghost town sealed off for the past 46 years. Warosha has long been a bargaining chip in talks between Turkish Cypriots and the internationally recognised government of Cyprus. Mr Tatar, an advocate of the permanent division of the Turkish North and the Greek South, has been accused of exploiting Warosha to worsen their relationship. Mr Akunja, who supports eventual unification of the island, accused Turkey of interfering in the territory's vote to help Mr Tatar. Other political parties in the north agree. Shortly after Mr Tatar's announcement about Warosha, his coalition partner announced its withdrawal from his government. 
Prized Poetry Louise Gluck's Nobel After three years of scandal, on October 8th, the Swedish Academy announced a move that was both surprising and, for once, uncontroversial. It awarded this year's Nobel Prize in Literature to a 77-year-old American poet, Louise Gluck. It cited her unmistakable poetic voice that with austere beauty makes individual existence universal. Miss Gluck has published 14 collections of poems. The Wild Iris won the Pulitzer Prize in 1993. Faithful and Virtuous Night, the National Book Award in 2014. She has also contributed to numerous anthologies and was America's Poet Laureate in 2003. Craig Morgan Teicher, a fellow poet, described her as someone for whom words are always scarce, hard-won and not to be wasted. She writes with brilliant clarity about youth, memory and the subconscious, and the classical myths on which her parents raised her. As she once wrote, we look at the world once in childhood, the rest is memory. Finally, here's the quote of the day from John Lennon who was born on this day in 1940. Reality leaves a lot to the imagination. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. Thank you.